From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. Just last week, as of the day this episode releases, Juliana Vale was announced as managing director of Dream.ai, a new division within Creative Force focused on new and emerging technologies in creative production and operations for e-commerce. Julia joined me on the podcast to talk a bit about this new team and the types of challenges and projects they hope to tackle now that some truly incredible technologies are available to us. In some cases, that will mean developing new tools and features, but it also may mean collaborating and integrating with already existing tools. Having Dream almost be kind of a hub to explore those different ex- solutions that exist in the market. And so what we want to do is is kind of combine all of that and create a community and create a partnership across all of the industry to kind of help foster and move forward a lot of these initiatives. Dream AI is not only about developing technology, but also aims to be a resource within the industry that helps creative teams understand what tools are out there and how they might apply them in real-world creative production environments. Now let's dig in a bit more with Juliana Vale. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Jester, and joining me for this episode, I'm very excited to introduce newly announced managing director of Dream.ai, a division within Creative Force, Juliana Vale. Juliana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Daniel. It's great to be here and to talk to you again, especially in this capacity. This is not your first time on the podcast. You've been a guest in the past when we talked about sort of some current events in the industry and a little bit of emerging technology conversation. Your background is as, remind me of your title at Farfetch. It had to do with innovation. My point being, you were sort of a natural selection for this role at Dream. But tell us a little bit about what you did at Farfetch and how that kind of led you to where you are now. Yeah, so the final title that I had was Service Development and Innovation. So it was sort of a self-made title in a lot of ways. But what I was working on was how do we think about the services that we deliver to the Farfetch platform, one of those being some of these innovations, and how do we think about and organize our innovation program to respond to the needs of the organization. So a lot of it was implementing very practical solutions within our workflows, like automatic garment measurements and machine translations. I also worked on a really exciting project to manage an acquisition of a virtual model solution. But then we were also thinking very long-term or sort of more speculative types of technologies like virtual try-on and the metaverse and sort of understanding how that was going to impact ultimately the e-commerce shopping experience and the customer experience. I think it's important to point out that there is a lot of facets to Farfetch. Mm. And not that Farfetch wholly defined you as somebody who's interested in technology and innovation, but I think it's important for people to understand that your role at Farfetch was largely in sort of a B2B capacity. Farfetch offered solutions to fashion brands to run their own e-commerce, not exactly their own e-commerce businesses, but you were partnering with some of these brands who were slower to adopt into e-com and providing solutions with them that fit into the way that they want to work. And so you're very, very familiar with innovating tools and technologies that allow e-commerce brands to take advantage of the things that they want to take advantage of. In particular, I think 
and I, I might be speaking out of turn. You can absolutely correct me, Juliana. But some of these fashion brands just they like it just wasn't really on brand for them to be in the e-com space. So we had to find a way technologically to make it a much easier pill to swallow. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So the service was to provide full end-to-end kind of white label e-commerce services to some of the bigger fashion labels within the industry and some big enterprise companies like Harrods.com. And so I think part of it was trying to solve for some of their logistical shipping struggles and bringing them onto the more international stage. And then I think the piece that we had to play within Creative Ops is to try to leverage that platform model that we have. So leveraging the marketplace model and also hosting their digital presence and how can we take advantage of having, let's say, like one set of samples at the same time and shooting for both the marketplace and their own platforms at the same time and kind of responding to their needs? So, you know, we did do a lot to kind of help advise them kind of towards what we felt like were best practices within the e-commerce industry, whether or not it was the shipping or in my area, more the imagery or the content production or even localization towards different markets globally. And so we're stepping into a pretty unprecedented period of technological advancement at speeds that are frankly mind-blowing. And it can be really hard to grasp and understand this. And it's this experience with not only Farfetch, but just your past experience within creative operations that I think led you to this role of managing director for Dream.ai, because a big part of that is, again, finding technological solutions that allow people to work better, work faster, work in ways that they were unwilling or unable to work in the past. And this is something that, like, I think you and I have had a lot of conversations over drinks in between karaoke (laughs) songs about this. I think this is something that really excites you, right, is being able to find interesting ways to use technology. And that's going... I'm bringing this up, Juliana, because... You're managing director of Dream.ai, and you're going to be sort of guiding the philosophy and a little bit of the culture of this group within Creative Force. And so I think it, I think it's fair for us to ask, like, what gets you excited about technology? And what are you most excited about, you know, about the opportunity to explore some very new things? At the core, I'm sort of a futurist in some way at heart. So I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. I can give you my reading list after this. We can post some, <laughs> some of that in the notes. But I really am curious about kind of how this technology is going to transform everything around us and transform what we're going to do. And so I think that's going to inform a lot of the philosophy and a lot of the product roadmap of the direction that we're going to be heading within Dream. And so I think, you know, it almost sounds like a broken record to say like AI is going to transform every industry. It's going to have a hand in transforming every industry. And I think it's also important to talk about AI has been around for a long time. AI, while there's this new hype cycle, it's not something that is actually new within our world. So we use it with Siri. We use it to manage our spam folders. We use it mm. you know, in all different types of way in our world. Now, what's different right now is the introduction of generative AI, which I think is is what is creating that you know, sort of exponential growth Mm. within the industry and what we're seeing kind of coming back and and impacting. So I think that that's really what is fueling a lot of that hype. Yeah, I think it really is. And this is something that I've had to remind myself of as well, which is that what we're seeing today, the speed with which things are improving, these technologies are improving and finding new and interesting applications 
is the result of decades of work that was too technical and too boring for anybody to care about. Right. <laughs> Unless you were like <laughs> invested in that sort of like machine learning industry. But you're right. Like there's yeah. There and the other side of it is that now people like you know, like you said about managing your spam folder and stuff, there's tons of things that we've interacted with AI with for years, but it hasn't been sort of necessary to use that term to describe it because it was just a feature that did something cool for you that was pretty low impact to your day-to-day other than like making something a bit more convenient. Yeah, exactly. I want to seize on a couple of words that you said in there, curiosity and then philosophy as well. Mm -hmm. And take that as an opportunity to, let's talk about the sort of, the AI philosophy in general, but also as it applies to Dream as you begin to kind of build this organization out? What we see AI as is as an opportunity within the industry. I think it's going to solve a lot of our really known challenges, but I think it's going to also open up a lot of unknown and a lot of unknown types of content that we might be creating in the future. And so I think there's two ways to look at it. I think it's one is the content that we're creating. And then two, the types of experiences that our end customer are going to be experiencing as well. And so I think what Dream needs to do is also kind of respond to both of those sides via providing solutions to the existing platforms or the existing solutions that our customers are working in, but also going out into the market and having a sense check of where our industry partners are looking at AI, and particularly, you know, AI is a means to generate new types of customer experiences. So if that is virtual try-on or gaming experiences or different social types of experiences. And so having Dream almost be kind of a hub to explore those different ex- solutions that exist in the market. And so what we want to do is is kind of combine all of that and create a community and create a partnership across all of the industry to kind of help foster and move forward a lot of these initiatives. And this is in true sort of creative force fashion, right? The creative force was largely developed and built into response to the real world needs of actual studios. We have a very, I think, robust feedback loop with a lot of our customers. And we have a lot of customers at Creative Force that are very engaged both in helping develop the Creative Force platform, but also that want to learn more about what new tools and technologies can be there. And that was some of the impetus for us to form Dream.ai was because there are some customers that are asking. Yeah. Like, what of these things that we're hearing about can we do with Creative Force? And so it very much is, and that's why I mentioned seizing on that word curiosity as well. I think it's very much a curiosity about the art of what's possible within this space and then marrying that up to the real world needs and applications of our actual customer base. I think it's probably worth saying, and correct me on this if you need to, Juliana, but Dream.ai is not simply about creating new features or new technologies within Creative Force, but in fact, building tools that can help creativity in general, even if that's a standalone product that's separate from the core Creative Force platform. Is that fair to say, Juliana? That's exactly right. So Dream is a subdivision, I would say, of Creative Force, but we are creating standalone tools that can be incorporated into any number of solutions that would exist on the market. So, and then we're also looking to kind of partner with other AI solutions that exist on the market to incorporate them back into the dream marketplace or the dream platform that 
you know, any, let's say you're a, a creative force customer, you can then choose to opt into any one of the dream modules to incorporate within your workflow. But let's say you are working within another studio workflow solution, you could also tap into the solutions that we have within Dream to help navigate your workflow as well. So I think there's our idea is to, you know, create this ecosystem of tools. Right. Let's let's pivot back to the more current getting sort of dream.ai off the ground. Cause we, we're gonna probably yeah. have a, an opportunity to talk more about future possibilities but as we're getting off the ground this is like your first week that your fourth day or something or your half <laughs> the third and a half day of your role as managing director of dream.ai what do you see as the primary goal as things are just getting started our very first focus is to really understand the market landscape and the immediate needs of our customers and so i think what my my goal is to provide some near-term values and near-term practical solutions to solve real-world problems that our customers are going to have. The next thing, I think, is to build out an ecosystem of collaborators um, to help shape what we think that long-term vision is going to be. And so creating those partnerships within the market. And so there's a lot of questions around that. So where are we headed as an e-commerce industry and what are our, what's the expectations of our end customer? And then going back to taking that, those inputs and knowing how that's going to come back to change the types of content that we're going to make and sort of sensing what technologies are going to exist as well in the future and how that's going to shape our, shape our roadmap too. Speaking of that roadmap, you mentioned also about collaborators and about understanding like technology that exists today, things that are available today. So I wanted to ask you, you know, this is something that Tice and I had talked about. We may have touched on it during our webinar where we announced Dream.ai, and I know that we've certainly talked about it offline. But there's a point at which we decide we need this functionality. We've identified this thing that we need. There's this thing that exists out there that's pretty good. And then there's this idea that we could build something ourselves depending on how it needs to integrate with other things. What do you see as the philosophy, if it's possible to sort of define at this point, between when do we build and when do we partner? And like, how do you think about that in terms of identifying who those collaborators are and where we need to put our actual true development resources? I think it goes back to what we were talking about, leveraging the core philosophy of creative force in the development of the product. So I think ultimately we have to deliver solutions that provide values to our customers, whether or not it's something we're building internally or we're partnering with externally. And I probably don't have to tell you, Daniel, or I don't have to tell the audience here that there are hundreds, if not thousands of products that are emerging on the market with different levels of maturity and effectiveness and and integrations within the market. So what the advantage is, is that we have a really robust network of customers that we can tap into to know what are the most valuable tools. And I think that's going to be a really a guiding force to understand what we want to develop and help guide the roadmap. So I think a lot of it too is going to understand what is best in class at the moment Mm. for these tools and what is, you know, the level of effort that it's going to take to develop it. So I don't think right now that Dream is going to develop a large language model or create massive data sets. It's not to say we might not explore that into the future. In the future, yeah, sure. Um, 
Yeah. But I think there are a lot of mature technologies that exist out there. One you talked about was Luma, which is generating 3D models out of 2D images. Yeah. And, you know, for the level of effort to kind of explore, explore that might be, you know, more effort than we want to explore internally. And it might just make sense to partner with them and include that within the dream marketplace. I think you've alluded to a lot of this over the course of the conversation so far, but I just want to ask explicitly, have you started thinking about how your team will prioritize projects and how to figure out where to start working? Because it's just, it's easy to get lost in the absolute like ocean of ideas that are out there. Yeah, yeah. This is the analogy of like the elephant and, and where do you start to eat, whatever that analogy is. But I, I have no. no idea what you're talking about, Juliana, but I'm super interested to know yeah, about yeah. it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it exists out there. Google it. Desmond Tutu once wisely said that there is only one way to eat an elephant, a bite at a time. No, but I think what's most important is that we hear from our clients and that we hear from the industry and we really lean into um, then to understand kind of what's most important, what are the biggest challenges that they're trying to solve. I think there's no need to be first to market Mm -hmm. with a lot of these solutions. I think we want to be right to market with them. Mm -hmm. And I think a really good analogy for this is Apple. They certainly weren't the first to come out with the MP3 player. There were a ton of competitors on the market, but they took the time to actually understand what the customer's needs were and to make a really valuable solution that fit the needs of the customers in the market. And I think Mm. a lot of that is going to be the driving force for us in, in bringing solutions and building out the product line. Yeah. I want to like just touch on a couple of specific things as we talk about like project prioritization and stuff. I imagine because we know that like AI assisted copywriting is a pretty, it's already pretty mature and there are some really compelling products out there thinking about, you know, there's, you can go, everybody on listening knows who they are. Um, Is this an area that Dream will be looking at? And I, I imagine it'll find its way into creative force as well. I'm really excited to let the audience know that this is probably one of the first products that we're going to deliver is a really slick copywriting tool that we're going to incorporate first within the Creative Force platform, but then open up via API through Dream. And what it allows you to do is, you know, take an image, it'll derive some information from the image, put in a couple of prompts, you can set parameters like number of words and tone of voice. And it'll actually spit out a a really nicely written set of editorial text that you can then go in and modify and expand on in in certain terms. So look for that in the coming months. And then we're hoping to, you know, in some frequency, release new products. And via Dream AI, you should be able to go in and kind of test out and view and sort of simulate some of the products that we're going to have and start to deliver through, through Dream. Let's jump into the future just a little bit, because nowadays when we say the future, we actually mean six months, maybe a year, because (laughs) things are changing so rapidly. I rather arbitrarily put in our outline document 18 months into the future, but you tell me what a reasonable time frame is. What do you think is like the next iteration? As you get off the ground, the team is established, some of the projects are established. What do you think you know, things look like in 18 months or whatever time frame feels realistic to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, probably 12 to 18 months. What I, I sort of hope is that in around that timeline, 12 to 18 month timeline, that 
the sort of AI hype cycle will cool down a little bit and that we'll have a bit more of a reasoned, mature view towards kind of what trends are emerging within this space. And we'll see who the actual leaders are. I think hopefully we will also have some answers from the market around all of the legalities and the ethics around a lot of these tools as well. I think there's a lot of questions around that and, and hopefully we'll have some answers around that. So as it applies to Dream, I think hopefully at that point, we'll have a robust tool set that will be a very practical service to the industry. And then really starting to focus on a lot of these exciting future trends rather than just trying to solve today's problems. So looking at what the role is of social and gaming and some of the virtual spaces out there maybe looking at styling guidance and understanding how we can tag items for the end Mm. customer experience. I think it would be really exciting to think about how we might partner with modeling agencies and other, other partners within the industry to provide solutions. And so I think a lot of this is geared towards how we're providing solutions to make creative teams work better And it's not just about efficiency. It's it's unlocking some of the opportunities so that they can create better content by eliminating a lot of the non-value add tasks. And just again, to come back down to earth a little bit, (laughs) this will be our last, my last sort of question for you. And then I have a little bit more before we wrap up the episode. But, you know, our industry, Juliana, has had a lot of perpetual challenges. No matter what technology can do for us, it's still sometimes hard to get samples. It's still sometimes hard to manage workloads, especially when things go digital, it's one thing to like manage a physical studio space. It's another thing entirely to manage all of the digital side of that production. What are some persistent challenges in our industry that you hope that we'll be able to now find a solution to now that we have a whole new suite of tools available to us? Firstly, is talking exactly to what you were just saying is solving some of the biggest challenges within organizations around how do we actually balance the load of content that needs to be created while also balancing the needs of the business operations and the financial constraints and the number of resources that we have on hand. And so I think I think we'll be able to help to unlock a lot of that through Dream AI and the solutions that we have so that teams can create more content, they can collaborate better, hopefully measure their content better. And then I think there's some other really exciting opportunities that AI is going to unlock as well. So I think there's a big push for sustainability, certainly in fashion, but I think across a lot of industries. And that right now, I think photo studio operations in particular consume a fairly large carbon footprint. And so I think without you know, trying to eliminate the need from having so many samples or so many people having to travel for these shoots. I think that could be a really huge net benefit for, you know, not only the industry, but, you know, Mother Earth. I think leaning into, you know, representation and localization and diversity and how we make our content be more representative. We know that we need to be able to do more with less, but again, with the actual just practical constraints of a photo studio and the financial constraints of, of running a business, you can't have five different models and five different size and all of that. And so I think AI is going to really unlock the ability to create much more representation in the products we show. And then one really interesting one that's come up just in a podcast recently was around accessibility. And I think AI could have a huge part in unlocking this. And I think starting from the content creation as the point of source for this around 
accessibility. And I looked this up and only 1% of e-commerce websites right now are accessible to people with disabilities. And I think that AI will be able to help unlock a lot of that for people, you know, to be able to shop in ways that they they haven't been able to before. Yeah, absolutely. Super interesting, Juliana. So yesterday I announced on LinkedIn, it was really last minute, but I thought I would try to see if anybody had any questions that they wanted to ask you since uh, you had just been announced on LinkedIn. We didn't really get anybody that asked any questions, but we did have Kevin Mason did offer a comment, and I think it's worth just spending a little bit of time talking about. To be honest, I'm a bit scared about what this team will produce. And I think coming from Kevin Mason, if I can, uh, sorry, Kevin, if I'm off base on this, I get the sense from Kevin that he is scared in the sense of that we might be able to come up with some pretty interesting things. I know Kevin is a fan of the Creative Force platform and some of the ways that we've been able to leverage technology. But I do want to talk about that little bit of fear because I know that this is still a pervasive thing. And I know we need to let the hype die down a little bit and let more rational thinking kind of take over. But you have a really... I think your perspective really has informed my perspective on this a lot about how to think about technology and why it's not something that we should necessarily be afraid of. Yeah. I mean, so if you look into the past, you look at the past like 150, 200 year, every major technological advancement has actually created more opportunities and more roles in the future. So, you know, I think there's some hope to think that AI is also going to fuel and it's also going to inform entirely new segments of our businesses that we can't even imagine. Entire new industries, potentially. Not even just segments, but entire new industries. Completely, completely. I mean, Instagram and Facebook would not exist without digital photography. The enormous amounts of content that has to be produced in order to fuel those sites. And I think AI is no different in that. Now, that's that's the, the positive look. But I think there's also a very mature look that leaders need to think about within this space is, you know, what are the types of roles that could be digitized? And I think that, you know, there is sort of a sobering view that you need to think about, you know, some of the roles may shift within your studios and you may need to think about, do I need to retrain a certain subset of my talent in prompting, which I know you've played around with this, Daniel. I've played around with it. I'm pretty terrible at it, actually. Like, yeah, I'm not I, great either. Very, it turns out it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's very, very hard. And so I think that ability is going to become very necessary within the studio. And so I think it's not about replacing roles, but I think it's about shifting roles. And not dissimilar to, you know, if I was a darkroom, you know, printer in 1998, you know, I might start thinking about, you know, what's the next step and what's the next evolution some roles within the studio may shift and yeah. we need to kind of respond to that. And, and in fact, probably will shift. Like they, they'll be realistic. Like they absolutely will shift, but you're, you're right on about that. And I think, you know, it's a totally natural human sort of trait to want to, to lament things that we liked that are no longer available to us. You know, you and I, yeah. just before we started recording this, we're talking a little bit about film photography and what a large format film camera is basically a scientific instrument that would be foreign to any digital photographer today, right? And, you know, I had a conversation with our mutual friend, Terrence Mahone, and he was really like, in text messages, was like, I really miss this because pe- like photographers used to be able to work like basically magic. And I think that that's, yeah. there's really something to that. And I feel that as somebody who's shot film and developed film, I feel much more like film developing a print from a film negative or whatever 
did feel like magic, does feel like magic to me in a way that digital just feels totally like normal. And I think that that's a totally valid emotion that in fact, it's probably okay and healthy to kind of sit in that emotion a little bit. But the way that I think about it is that this is one step closer to that Star Trek future, right? Our main job as human beings is just to explore our universe and all most other material needs are taken care of. And if we get to that point, I'm okay with things changing today for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I remember, you know, I loved being in the darkroom and I love that manual process. But the second when I realized that I could just with you know, 30 seconds of work in Photoshop, manipulate a curve to do what it would take me, you know, I don't know, half an hour, an hour to to sort of figure out and do within the studio. I mean, that was a big milestone for me personally. And so, you know, I think we will, in the same way, as you said, be nostalgic. I think there will be a place, I'm sure, for our traditional ways of working, the ways we work now. But I think there is a lot to be excited about in terms of what this technology is going to provide in the future and how it's going to unlock new experiences and how, um, it, you know, it's also going to, you know, create even new industries, as we said, that we don't even know before. For sure. Juliana, I am really excited to be working with you again, same company again, thinking back to our relatively short-lived days at Farfetch together. But it's really exciting to kind of have you on the team again. It was great to talk to you about this. I'm excited to see what comes out of Dream and in what ways we can solve problems for our customers and for the industry at large. Daniel, I'm really glad to be working with you and I'm really glad to be on what we're calling the dream team. And I'm really excited to talk to people in the audience and talk to people in the industry about how we can shape this future. And I just also want to say, Daniel, thank you for this podcast. I find a ton of value out of this. And I think probably a lot, anybody that's listening to it finds a ton of value. So I just want to thank you for having this as a platform for us to talk about what's going on in the industry and learn from a lot of the thought leaders. So just want to put that out there as well. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to get to learn from so many smart people through this podcast. And hopefully others have learned as well. Juliana, that's it. That's all the time that we have. We went a little bit long on this one. Sorry to those of you who didn't finish your commutes in time. That's <laughs> the last few minutes of this podcast. But uh, Juliana, I, no doubt we'll have you back on again to talk about some things in a few months as things get settled down and we, we start to get a clearer direction on where things are going. Great. Sounds good. Thanks, Daniel. That's it for this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast. Many thanks to our guest, Juliana Vale, and thanks to you for listening. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean O'Meara. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Until next time, my friends. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian.